Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Tim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional, and those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. My understanding is, is that STEM hiring has always been a challenge, especially for those organizations dedicated to diversity. Today's guest knows quite a bit about this and related issues because she is a successful Black female executive in a technology field. Her path to her current role has provided her with a very important perspective and one that I'm pleased to explore with her in this episode. So I'm pleased to have with us Zanita Henderson, Vice President of Marketing and Business Development at SCTE. In 2020, she was named a trailblazer on the cable industry's list of most influential multi-ethnic executives. As the Vice President of Marketing and Business Development, she has also played a pivotal role in the success of the SCTE Cable Tech Expo 2020. There will be a 2021 expo that'll take place between October 11th and 14th in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, despite circumstances driven by the pandemic. And she's also received the prestigious Women in Technology Award in 2019. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for asking me. It's my pleasure. I um, I admit that my knowledge of these, you know, particularly STEM, the STEM fields is kind of limited. So the first question is, what do you want our audience to know about all of this? <laughs> well, let me tell you. The cable industry, this has been my passion. It's been my life. I've been in the cable industry since I was 19 years old. Wow. And I'm 53 now. <laughs> and I have so I've been here for a long time. And I have to tell you, the cable industry de- definitely with the way that, you know, when I first got into the industry in 1986, 87, you know, we were looking at analog TV. Right. Yep. And you had that, you had what, 30 channels at the most, if you had the, the original cable system. And then now you're looking at thousands of channels, HD, 8K, you know, all of, all this great technology that's been going on. And I literally have had like a little bird's eye seat to every bit of entertainment technology, um, even with the start of broadband with the Internet. Um, sitting at the company that I was at um, for so many years before I became, before I came over to SCTE. So I just want everyone to know the cable industry is very exciting. The technology, you get to touch every bit of technology from, you know, hardware, software, going software now. So there's just so much there and so rich in content that I have literally was just want everyone to get into the cable industry and get a job, regardless of what your field is, if you're a lawyer or HR or, you know, whatever. Um, in marketing, look, you know, I'm a marketer. I'm not an engineer, right? But I market technology and I have learned so much and would just love for, have dedicated the whole last probably 20 years of my life just evangelizing for high school kids and colleges um, to look at a career in cable. It's not just Silicon Valley and working for Netflix and Google, which I worked for Google for a very short time um, as we went through an acquisition. But really, the cable industry is where it's at. Yeah, but I thought that streaming services were going to be the end of cable. Not at all. Streaming. <laughs> we at Broadband services... You have to. You, there would be no streaming service if it wasn't for the cable industry bringing, um, having the internet. So no, not going anywhere. <laughs> I always enjoy those those predictions. You know, it's like when Netflix became pretty big, and especially when they switched to their online streaming uh, service from the the mail system that they used to use. You know, everyone's ringing the death knell of the cable industry, and it's like ah, I don't think so. I mean, that's like cable modem. You couldn't even have streaming services if it wasn't for the cable modem. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we, we can't go anywhere. <laughs> Not going anywhere. <laughs> well, um, it's it's good to it's good to hear. You know, it's uh it's very interesting to watch all this unfold as a consumer. I mean, it's hard to imagine it being any other way than it is now. But I I do remember being a kid and the TV had three channels that came over the over the um, antenna, and sometimes it was three channels. I mean, <laughs> I that was seems like it wasn't that long ago. You know, thirty it wasn't. years. It really- it was not really that long ago. I remember talking to a, a, our young lady in PR when I was working over at Motorola. And I remember we were at lunch one day and I said, remember, I was talking to some other colleagues. I went, remember when after after the 11 o'clock news, TV went off, you did, the, you did the Pledge of Allegiance and you went to bed and TV went off. And I remember Kalia looking at me in, like in horror. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? The TV went off. I went, yeah, the little symbol came up and that was it. I said, what happened was they ended up doing Saturday Night Live is what kept TV on beyond hmm. the 11, 30, 11 o'clock news. And that's what kind of slowly did it. And then all of a sudden CNN came in after that and they had 24-hour news. And she just looked at me like I had three heads. Like she could not believe that there was a time, and that was not <laughs> that long ago, um, that TV just went off at 1130. <laughs> so that puts you in a particularly interesting position to have witnessed, you know, other than the expansion of technologies and, and sort of that whole evolution, but to witness how organizations that are behind all this have grown, you know, from from an HR perspective, from a recruiting perspective. I mean, that kind of kind of change can't have been easy to keep pace with. It, it, it has been, you know, I think for for the company that I started with um, when I first went into the industry, the large, the, it was a, it was a really great global company, but they were small, by right? like four or five hundred people. By the time we got to all the acquisitions and went through to, we went through um, a huge acquisition with General Instrument. We went from General Communications to General Instrument to Motorola to Google for a little bit, then to Aris, and now they're Comscope, which used to be owned by Gerald back when I first went there 33 years ago. (laughs) So it almost went full circle. But going through all those migrations, our HR department, I am very um, impressed with that particular company talking about them since I was there the longest amount of time, that the engineers, they were wonderful at getting engineers that kept up the technology. Um, I never heard our HR department say we could not get an engineer. I never heard that. I never, we were always, um, always kept the pipeline for engineering um, very much so going customer service. Um, never had, I never heard them say that. What has been happening over the last few years though is that as we've moved from hardware to software, now it's starting to get where now we're getting into the colleges, working with different um, diversity internship programs to pull in the software engineers. So, yes, we always hardware was always engineers were there. I never heard that as an as, as issue. But software is where we're moving to now. And that's where we're doing a real big push and being successful at it because we are targeting, you know, the, the high school kids coming right out of high school, going to college and having our internship programs and bringing them into the industry. It's funny how there's a lot to talk about there, but it's funny how reticent some organizations are to engage with high school students. They, you know, you look at job applications um, or job postings and it's five years of experience, 10 years of experience. You got to have this, you got to have that. And meanwhile, we know that skills are going obsolete sometimes in as little as six months. So I think that's kind of an extreme example, but at least in a couple of years, you know, so what's the, the middle ground there is maybe one of those things has to change, right? Why not find them when they're coming out of school and people that are genuinely interested in the field and help guide them towards getting the education they need to work for you, right? And that is absolutely, you know, and I think the first program 
has been great with that. We're getting the students as in high school that are one of those first robotics teams. That has been amazing. I've worked with them for uh, many years as well. And you know that's a lot where the pipeline, you're building that pipeline into the workforce working through the first um, program. But also um, our, we have a diversity program in the cable industry called the Emma Bowen Foundation. And what they do is they have high, they have high school seniors, juniors and seniors, who are have definitely made their choice. They're going to they're going to go to college for engineering or whatever area they're going to go, and also other careers, not just engineering. Also for um, for marketing, anything you want to do in the cable industry, as long as it's a position you can have in the cable industry. Um, if you join Emma Bowen, and it is a diversity association, so you know obviously it's very very much on a diverse student base. Um, you will get assigned to a company, and you don't jump around. You get that one student or how, how, how many other students that your company you know can afford for that four year period. And you keep that student through their whole four years with through the Bowen program. So that is you're raising up your pipeline. Right. And the um, previous company I was at with Aris, they kept all of their interns, which was fantastic. And I have a fabulous story about that because I did have one student that um, was an intern that came in through the Bowen Foundation. He was an engineer. He first came in and said he wanted to do IT. Then he kind of got itchy about IT and was like, okay, maybe I may want to do hardware engineering. So we put him over. So we moved him to where he could kind of, you know, fill that and figure out what he wanted to do. And then eventually he went into software engineering, right? And when his four years of college was up, you know, he did his internship and everything with us. He ended up being so scared to come back and tell us, look, you know, we, I got to, you know, now it's time for him to get a job. We offered him a position with our company. Um, and it was right at the time where we went from Google to Ares when they purchased us. And he ended up getting a position. Um, he was scared to tell me, but he ended up getting offered a job with Nike. Wow. And I just was elated for him. I said, you know what, Sean, look, you, you're, I'm not going to tell you to stay here. When you just got recruited by the biggest brand in the world from four years of, of teaching and, and mentorship from our company, I'm taking that as a win. <laughs> that we raised you up and you got a job at Nike. Go for it. So that we definitely, I think the cable industry has, is just phenomenal in reaching back and pulling the students forward and bringing them into the industry. I am very proud of, of having that heritage of that. That's the the right mindset to have, you know, it's not every investment is going to return, right? The way you think it will. But here's someone that, you know, I'm sure will always be grateful for the experiences he had, had that guidance, had the knowledge, which virtually no one has going into college that he would have a job when he gets out of college, you know, and that guy's going into the same talent pool as all the other people you might hire or, you know, all the other people that have the same skills and abilities, why wouldn't you want them to go go out there talking about how great how great their first experience was? It's a, a sort of long long term thinking that uh, sometimes is a little absent out there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about maybe a lot of bit about um, the diversity aspect. I, I, as I said, I'm not a particular expert in STEM hiring, but I have certainly read and published a few articles about the struggles that so many organizations have to bring in, if not just talent in general, but specifically diverse talent. Can you talk a little bit about what your experience with that is like? Oh, well, my personal experience um, in the industry. Uh, that or professionally. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, okay, there you go. Um, no, I have not. In our industry, I'm very proud of the fact that um, we do have industry associations that focus strictly on women in the industry, women in tech, as well as minorities, right? And we have our two diversity associations, the Walter Cates Foundation, as well as Emma Bowen Foundation. And they are very, and we also have National Association of Multi-Ethnicity and Cable. 
which also is a fantastic organization, which all of them collectively within our industry, we're taking care of that whole ecosystem. Students to, to, to then get internships with these large companies, both on the programmer side and the hardware side. And we're also taking care of the, the maturing worker that's in the industry. So if you're in one job and you want to get trained in something else, that's where you would go through that funnel. And they have wonderful educational programs, webinars. They keep you up to date on everything in our industry um, via all of those associations so that you can kind of move fluidly within the industry, regardless of what your current role is, as long as you're picking that up. And I'm proud of the SCT as well, as we have programs um, for training that we train the entire cable industry from, we like to call it the boots, the suits. You know, we train the installers that come into your home straight through to the C-suite, where we have um, um, education programs and executive leadership training programs with Tuck at Dartmouth, as well as with Georgia Tech. So we are we are constantly keeping that pipeline upskilled and trained so they can move from, you know, I'm an installer today, but you may end up being a maintenance tech moving forward. Then you go, I'm going to go inside and be, a, you know, be an engineer internally. And then you may end up just like being a GM and running a business unit, you know, and that's where Georgia Tech will come in because they will start teaching you all the business acumen and getting you ready to be able to take over, you know, on the other side from being from an intern, from, from external to going internal. So we take care of the employee straight through the whole ecosystem and straight through their career, depending on where they want to go um, and always keeping the diversity in mind. We are we have a 40-year diversity program between those four associations that I just mentioned, and they are very highly regarded. That is where people go to look for new talent when they're looking for someone. There's mentorship programs. I'm actually a mentor with the Women in, C in Cable um, program through our uh, Women in Technology, which I won that award in 2019, so which meant that I need to be a mentor as well, and I do. Um, so we're constantly you know, upskilling, and then also is also all about mentorship and sponsorship to get those women and our minorities pushed through to get them to where they, what, what they ultimately want to do. You know, it's interesting because, you know, that all sounds absolutely fantastic. It sounds like it was something that took a lot of effort by a lot of dedicated individuals to build. Um, and it's really, you know, you're talking about 40 years. Um, I'm sure they're extremely good at what they do. So what would be your advice to, employers out there that are struggling to find maybe STEM workers in general, but, you know, they just can't seem to get a handle on the diversity aspect, which we all know is critical. Well, I would say they can get a handle on it, but you have to go after it, right? You have to go looking for, you know, I know the, I know the vice president now with her coming from an HBCU. There's been a heightened um, awareness now of going to the HBCUs, you know, even in professional sports. There was a big controversy about how their football players weren't being pulled from the HBCU schools. There's a very few in the NFL that actually made it from an HBCU. And that's the same thing in tech. But you have to go, you have to advertise where African-Americans are Indians, you know, Native Americans. That was a big um, area for, for our industry back in like the late um, 2000s where, you know, how do I get on the reservations and let them know that we have these career opportunities from, because they're a very close society, or at least back then they were, but we slowly but surely started, you know, breaking those walls down and getting involved there as well. So you have you have to get up and go and search, search those things out. It's not going to come to you, right? The companies and the people who are, lead, who are leaders in the HR departments have to go out and really put the work in to find and go to the diversity associations and don't look at it as, what I hated hearing, especially about around the Silicon Valley side, was that sometimes when you look at um, going through diversity, that is almost like you're settling, right? These, no, no, very smart 
intelligent people of color out there that will come in and just you just knock your socks off. So, but you have to go after that talent and go get them. You cannot just sit back and put an ad in the paper and wait for everyone to apply and hopefully they get through the filter. No, you have to actually, you have to go and advertise those jobs there, promote those jobs there, go to the college fairs, go to the, to the job fairs and be there present. And all of the companies that I worked through, I think Motorola was the best at that where they had a whole college recruitment you know, team. And I know even on the telco sides with Verizon, AT&T, they do the same thing. Football games, you know, sporting events, all of that. You have to go where they're at. And get them. So I would say it's not a passive role and that I am very proud of the fact that even in our industry, because we're getting them starting with the we're starting with the internship programs that we're ushering them through from the start of their career to hopefully to the end of their career. Um, a lot to unpack, but that whole like looking at a diversity hire as settling thing. Why don't we talk about that? Because it's so misguided, right? I mean, the idea that, all right, I just because I can't recognize, you know, uh, how do I say it? When you're sitting across the, the table or across the Zoom call from a candidate, there's something about being a little bit uncomfortable that's good, but that's counterintuitive. Like you should be saying, okay, I don't get this person because they're totally unlike me and they're not like people that I that I know. And instead of doing what is so human to do, which is to be like, I don't want to, I don't want to go forward with this. It just makes me feel weird. Um, say that's actually great because this person's going to have all these different perspectives. They're going to have this, this unique experience. It's okay to feel uncomfortable in a conversation, which I think is something people will avoid. They'll just go to great lengths to avoid being uncomfortable, stupid lengths, really. I mean, what won't someone do to avoid a little bit of discomfort? And it's, it's just, you know, it's kind of upsetting that that we're still here talking about this after all these years. I mean, the research is out there. The, the quote-unquote business case for diversity is out there. People should know. Every one of my listeners right now should know that it's not just about recruiting. you got to make room for every single individual that comes in your organization to feel safe, to feel comfortable, to feel listened, to feel like they belong, right? And it's not like... This isn't a thing we don't know how to do, right? All that information's out there. And now a little bit more about our sponsor, Namely. When you need a little extra time to focus on culture and diversity efforts, consider automating time-consuming tasks with Namely. It's so important to keep your employees engaged, connected, and informed, especially in this competitive job market. Namely is the only all-in-one HR solution everyone on your team will love. It's so easy to use and can save your team hours each week. Namely is ideal for mid-sized businesses, whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees. With Namely, you'll have one centralized platform to create an employee experience that is seamless, engaging, and even boosts productivity with features like onboarding, open enrollment, PTO, performance reviews, recognition, and a news feed to keep everyone up to date and interacting no matter where they are. And HR professionals love it too, with compliance tools and advice, easy payroll processing, HR analytics, and dedicated support. Namely gives you everything your business needs in one intuitive place. Namely will allow you to focus on what really matters to your company, strategy, culture, and all the other important things you've been meaning to tackle. Learn more about making the switch to Namely. Their specialists will make it so easy. Go to Namely.com today. Don't wait. That's Namely.com. And now back to my discussion with Zanita. So when I asked the question, you know, what advice would you give to another organization? The the question I guess I'm really asking is, how do you get them to, to wake up a little bit and just sort of see that it's in the old-fashioned system isn't going to work anymore? Um, 
well, you know, and it is, you know, it's, it's very unfortunate that I have not had that experience. So it's, you know, our, I have to say it is drilled into, you know, our industry, our, the companies in our industry, they are very much aware of this. I'm not saying that it's absolutely perfect, right. but we are at, we are like leap years ahead of other industries and other, and, and I would, I would definitely say that we are definitely leap years ahead. I don't sense the uncomfortableness in our in this industry, especially myself as being a black woman in this industry. I represent myself on our board um, for my company. I talk to the board leaders and presidents and CEOs of most of the major cable operators around the world. Um, so I don't see that. So I would just say people need to have an open mind, right? When I have been in a very um, open environment in the cable industry, um, so I have not had that uncomfortable feeling. And or if I did, I didn't know it. Because when I stepped, when I get on a Zoom call or when I'm in a meeting, I'm representing my company. I'm representing myself. And so I, if anyone was uncomfortable maybe coming in the room and wondering what was I going to say when I opened my mouth, <laughs> I think I met, I, I met the occasion. How's that? So there was, if, if, if there was an issue, once I opened my mouth and, and had my conversation and did my presentation, there was, there was not a problem. Um, I do think that with um, people of color that we always come better than everybody else. I would say that, you know, because we have to. I mean, it's unfortunate that we can't we cannot go to the meeting and say, oh, I didn't do that. I'll get to it next week. No, I, you have to go to the meeting and say, not only did I do this, I did three things ahead of it <laughs> to be ready for what you're about to ask me that question. So I do think that people do definitely need to look at it from a, a from a, a diverse perspective. Like you said, that we're going to come in here. There's more than just the color of your skin. It is your background. It is how you grew up. It is, you know, it's everything about you that comes into that room that people see. It's more than just the color of your skin. It really is. You could, you could be a white female who went through college on a scholarship and you're just happy you got through college and you ended up getting a good job. Or you could be an African-American woman who worked her way all the way through college and is thankful to have this job. And she's going to go to work every day and just knock it out of the park every day because it didn't come easy to her. So nothing is going to just be simple for her going into that job. She's always going to do a thousand percent because she's very thankful to be there. That's a really good point. And it's something that you see across so many different types of diversity, which in of itself is really almost problematic in the sense that it's like you're saying diversity. If you were to start sit a group of people down say like a hundred people and say, all right, you know, and even if they were somewhat homogenous, looking say how many of you have like a mental know someone that has a mental health crisis how many people you know that are taking care of their parents at home because they're they're invalids or uh you know have a a mental disability or you know you just start adding them all up and by the end of that day by the end of that conversation almost everyone's gonna have their hands up absolutely and that that lesson for some reason (laughs) is difficult for people to internalize because it really does keep coming back to like, how do we, how do we get African-Americans at work? And it's so much more than that. And if you can get beyond that mindset of how do we get this kind of person, that kind of person in and say, how do we make room for literally every single person that comes in the door that has the skills to do the job? It should change in approach that I think can permeate an organization. Some people, you know, if they're tasked with, Hey, we need more diversity in our organization. Go find them, HR person, you know, and if they don't know what they're doing and they have an experience, you don't have experience, they're going to go to Google and they're going to search, how do I get diversity in my organization? And they might find an article that has 
that has five things that you need to know, you know, and it's just, it's more than that, right? There's, there's oh, a certain something more. else that's missing. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying. I'm a huge advocate um, for truly understanding and spreading diversity. But, you know, how do you get people to that are at those kinds of organizations that are just getting started or, or just haven't had the right culture to succeed? How do you get them to start or, or, or find an entry point into this? I think, you know, I think it's going to take, um, it has to be tied to your compensation and also maybe your yearly review. Um, I have seen that, you know, I, you know, I have seen that work, you know, you've taken an organization um, that had, that is not doing what they should be doing in a diversity situation. You, you make it a part of their core goals. You make it a part of their vision of their company. And you also make it a part of their compensation. You'll see things change when it's a part of their compensation that when you're putting out a position and you have to have, you know, and, I, and I hate to go there, you know, the, I hate to go there, but you have to do that. Um, that there has to be a certain percentage that's diverse. We are not beyond that, which is very unfortunate. You know, it's very unfortunate we're not beyond that. But I really and truly believe that, you know, yes, it should be just a normal, your, it should be a part of your DNA just to be open-minded and be able and looking for a position. But if your company or you have people in your company who are resistant to that, then you have to tie it to their goals and their compensation. And then all of a sudden they will wake up <laughs> and realize that this is important. And then obviously with the people that you hire, you know, hopefully as you get more and more, your organization gets more and more diverse, you start to see the benefits of having a more diverse workforce. Yeah. And get that momentum of change. Exactly. Yeah. It's tying into the financials does seem to be the thing, right? Like I know that, um, and it's something I've been meaning to go explore a little bit more, but I know that publicly traded companies are now, offering a metric for, I said, was it pay equity or was it diversity? Um, I think it was a diversity metric so that investors could sort, you know, like uh, retail investors could so- sort by how, how's this company doing, you know, in, in that particular regard. That's great. It's a, it's a step in the right direction. It's unfortunately one of these things we just have to keep doing, which is like financially, just like you're saying, financially tie, tie it back to their review, their, their future in the company, their compensation that, 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 until, until people can get past it, that's what, that's just going to have to be that way. And I love that. I recently saw something on the internet that said, you know, you shouldn't buy from a company that doesn't hire you. You should what? You should not buy from a company that doesn't mm-hmm. hire you. Man, that would put a lot of companies at real risk, wouldn't it? <laughs> now, I, I am, I'm very happy to say that for the cable industry, we have a very good track history of that and very documented. We have many reports that we do every year on diversity. We do not let anyone slide at all. The Women in Cable, they have a wonderful PAR initiative that they do with the with the National Association of Multi-Ethnicity in Cable every year. And they put that report out every year. And it's the cable companies whether they're hardware vendors or the operators, they all report in. We do not let ourselves slide on that. And I am extremely proud that we do that. We, we measure ourselves. We don't want someone else measuring us. We don't want to be compared to anyone else that our industry, we measure ourselves to make sure that we are keeping it, that we're keeping it real. And we have a diverse and equitable workforce. And I am so proud of that. And those are publicly published records? Yes, they are. You go to the WIC.org site. Um, it's right on their front page. They have the, the um, PAR initiative is out there. Maria does a fantastic job with that. You can just go out there and read that report. It'll give you a full breakdown. Yeah, listeners, I'm going to include a link to that um, in the description so you can get an idea of what that might look like should you decide to do something like that at your organization. I've been hammering at home for like the last however many years, but there's you can't go wrong with transparency. Right? It's the instinct 
and I've talked about this too, but the instinct is not to be transparent. I, I know for myself anyway, like uh, if I recognize there's a problem in my life, my first instinct is to just not look at it, right? <laughs> I don't want to know. It's it's, And at some point you have to confront it and realize, you know, and, and that's when, when the change starts to happen. That instinct is, I think, ubiquitous. People don't want to look inside their organizations. They don't want to find the bad stuff. They don't want to look at their compensation issues, at their diversity issues. And yet, if they just would, it would benefit their organization so much. Absolutely. We do. And that's exactly what we do. I mean, from from all the cable operators, all that is what we do. We measure ourselves. And also, even with the SCT, I can even tell you this year, it was very important for us to diversify our speaker pool for Expo. Um, we really wanted to get more, you know, just diversify the whole scene of people who submit papers for Expo. So this year, just like I said earlier, do the work, right? We would typically put out a press release, say, hey, call for papers is open, get your papers in, here's all the, the 10 or 12 tra tracks for the show, and just wait for the papers to come in. This year, we actually, I went after, I had, you know, our agency go after diversity associations and, and let them to promote our papers and say, we have a call for papers that way we could get more of a diversified field. And we did. We actually went over this year, got a great amount of papers, and I cannot wait to find out, you know, who came through that. But we are. We, I love the fact that even my company was looking at Expo and going, we really need to diversify that paper, <laughs> that call for papers. And we went after it. And we did very well with it. It's great. One of the, the biggest issues over the last year has been, and I'm curious how you guys have met the challenge, uh, women leaving leaving the workplace. It's uh, something like four out of five, or maybe it's five out of six people that left because of the pandemic over the last year. I have, I read that as well, but um, that it wasn't four or five of the women that I met. Because we, we actually, when, you know, with, with us going remote, like, who would have thought that whole companies, will everybody be working remotely? Especially, you know, it's just, who would have thought that? The cable industry, we keep the networks going, right? We support the cable industries from you know, all their training and support. You know, they kept working. You know, we didn't get a chance. To, I don't think anyone even got a chance to think about, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave or getting out of workforce because of what was going home. I think, you know, I hate the way that we got here, but I do believe that maybe that whole work-life balance got answered through the pandemic. They got to be home, you know. Obviously, the whole homeschooling thing kind of like threw people off for a little bit. But then once you got it back, once you got it on track and you got a schedule, you were good to go. Um, I have seen more in our industry that the women who were women and men, no, let's not just say women that went home, um, that they all went home. Maybe the first couple of weeks was a little bit okay. We got to figure this whole thing. Like two parents working from home, plus the kids with homeschooling. How are we going to do this? Once they got it figured out, they were fine. They, they, they had a schedule, they got it down, and they kept moving because the industry had to keep moving, right? You had to keep these, you had to keep networks up so, so you could still do your podcast while you're home. So I have not seen, I did see, I have seen that, um, that a lot of people went home from, I guess, with the pandemic and the women left the workforce, but that has not been something I've seen heavily on this side of the house because I think once they got home, I think it settled some things for them so that when they go back to work, even if it's a hybrid situation, they're more in control of their households now. Yeah, that's very true. You were forced to solve the problems that were getting backburnered. And I do in, I do like where things were headed, and I, I hope they're still headed that way. Because you wouldn't believe how many people I talk to that are already backsliding uh, at the prospect, you know, with the prospect of normal coming back. Uh, right, no, there, there is no more old normal coming back. Yeah. <laughs> but they, you know 
sort of soonish. You can kind of be inside and not have masks on. And, and a lot of organizations, I don't know what it is about them. There's just this obsession with employees being physically at work that is not going away the way it should have. We've had a year, we've had 14 months of data now to say remote employees did what all the researchers said. They motivated themselves. They didn't goof off or, or lounge around anymore. They did more work. Yeah, they worked harder at, at cost, at great personal cost in some cases. if it, it almost became a story of how do you get people to stop burning themselves out because they're putting too much pressure on themselves. Exactly. Um, and yet some people took the lesson from that to be, let's go back to the office for five days a week. And uh, No, no. Our industry is definitely, again, not doing that. They are, they are not, you know, right now I think it's going to be more of a hybrid situation. Yeah. But people will be more used to it. I think that they've gotten very much used to, like I said, people were doing more work and being more productive, not being at the office to travel time. They get to work, they were working, they get they get up, they're in their home, they start working right away. Um, I think in our situation for the cable industry, it probably would be more of a hybrid where every where it'll it'll definitely be more work compliant. I can tell you that from my friends that worked in the industry at other companies, and even for what I was doing for my team at our company, it was all about keeping you very comfortable at home, making sure you get all the ergonomic chairs, you had the right monitor, you had the right equipment, and then also that you were taking time off. You need to get offline now. You need to take a day off. You know, it, they, they were very much about all, most of the companies that I've worked with were friends who are all of them are in the cable industry. Their companies made sure they had the right time off to disconnect from their devices and just be with their families. And when I did the same thing with my team, I told my team, look, you need to get offline. <laughs> you just get, get, take a couple days off. Still take your vacation. A lot of people are scared to take their vacations, but no. Not in our industry. The companies in our industry made them take their vacations and make them take time off. One of my teams out in Denver, they have a craft, they have a creative day where they're told to take a day off and just be creative. Don't do anything work. Don't look at email. Don't look at Slack. Don't look at anything. Just go off and be creative for the day. And that's what they do. So, no, I think, um, again, I'm going to just always promote the fact that within our industry, you know, I hate the way we got here with the pandemic. But it actually made us better. Yeah, I, I agree entirely. Um, it took me a little while to adjust myself. And I always wanted to be working from home. I've worked remote in the past and found the whole commute to work. And I'm not stuffing myself in a subway train or anything. But it's just such a waste of time. You know, I don't want to sit in traffic. I don't want to park my car and, you know, I forgot my stuff in there. Or I got to go stuff all my doctor's appointments around the 30 minutes of travel time that it would take. It just... I know people that have it a lot worse than me, and I really appreciated that time. Um, you know, my wife is from Queens, and I used to work from home at a different organization while she worked there. So I would go visit her and work from home from her place. And sometimes I would go into the city with her in the morning. And oh my God, it's <laughs> like four trains go by before you have one where there's enough room for you to squeeze in right next to everybody else. And uh, maybe it won't ever be quite like that again, although maybe it will be. But I couldn't imagine. And we'd have to get up so early to go six miles, you know, not even across a river, <laughs> which out in the sticks of Connecticut, it's like, how is that? How does that take in two hours to do? But somehow it was. I just I think employers really need to remember the cost that that all that stuff had on their employees and not get too comfortable 
with how things are now to say, well, let's just bring it all back. Let's just go right back to the way it was. No, I, don't, I don't think you're going to see that. It, it depends on the industry. I'm going to say that and the company and what you do. Right. Um, but I know, as you can see from Silicon Valley, like the Googles and the Apples, they're not forcing their employees to come back to work. Um, obviously, our industry is not, we're pretty much following the same suit. They're not forcing you to come back to work, but there are critical roles that, yes, you need yeah. to be in the office, right? Um, so, yes, there are critical roles for that. <laughs> and we definitely, yeah, but we do see the trends and are following the trends that it is going to be more of a hybrid. I am the complete opposite of that. I am very social. I need to be in the office. <laughs> I love my house. I have a beautiful home, but I want to go to the and so I was taking my one to a couple of days a month to go up to go get supplies and things like, yay, I'm going to the office because I am that person. <laughs> but it really didn't. But with the um, with Pennsylvania, with the rules that they had in place at the time, um, you couldn't sit in the same conference room with your with your team. You had to sit six feet apart. So even if you had a conference, if you had a meeting, you still were in your individual offices on a Zoom call. So it was like, why go to the office if you're still yeah, going right. to be on a Zoom call but you're in the building? So, you know, um, yeah, I'm the complete opposite of that. I love people. I love being around people. But if you go to the office, you're not allowed to stand around a water cooler and talk. Then there was no need for me to go to the office. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's sort of the there was a division between remote employees and central employees. But the other division that is a lot less obvious was between introverts and extrovert extroverts. And they've done some research into it to suggest that extroverted people uh, really struggled during the pandemic being at home and introverted people thrived. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that I really hope that we can find a way to communicate to employers is that it shouldn't necessarily, that's just another way to slice up your population. Not all of us want to go back. I think they're going to make it much more easier for you not to. So I don't think that's going to be a problem anymore. That's going to be one of the pandemic things post pandemic is you're going to have the hybrid experience. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Fantastic. Oh, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. Well, no, it was very nice to meet you. And thank you for the time this afternoon. Listeners, we're always interested in suggestions you might have for what we should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HOWorks Podcast with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general. Uh, we are now available on Audible and Spotify, so if you prefer listening there, uh, go right ahead. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.